Well, amen. Good to see you folks. Thank you for allowing us to come. We've looked forward to this. I think we were here about the time you dedicated this building. That's right. And uh, we look forward to being back. Your pastor is a dear friend. Known him for a number of years, and you're so fortunate. I hope you appreciate him. I hope you pray for him, lift him up, and uh, God will change him and give him passion and vision as you support him in prayer. Uh, the greatest thing you can do for this Austin community is to love your pastor. So I hope you do that. Of course, you love the Lord most, and you've got a history of that. Thank you so much. And to see Harold and Barbara again, good to see you guys. They've been friends forever and older, longer than either one of us wants to admit, because we'd have to admit our age then. But uh, it's just a privilege to be here. Thank you for allowing us uh, that privilege. Uh, I always am honored when a pastor asks me to preach for him. And, and when he asks me to preach for him and leaves town, <laughs> I am really blessed because I know he trusts me and knows that I wouldn't do anything inappropriate, and I count it a great privilege. You know, pastors are very picky about who preach for him, and uh, most pastors cherish who stands here more than almost anything else in their ministry, and so it's a great privilege and honor for Carol Ann and me to be here today, and thanks for allowing us to do that. Now, open your Bibles to Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, chapter 3. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what I think is uh, the most appropriate thing I could do. How do you get ready for the future? I mean, whether we like it or not, the future's here. You, you've already been, you've already been uh, given a welcome to, to the new year, and it's not here yet. But it's coming, like about 48 hours or so. 72 hours, it'll be here. How do you get ready for the future in a, in a world like ours? I just scanned, uh, I'm not very computer technology uh, efficient, but uh, I went online and typed in predictions for 2014 just the other day. You wouldn't believe what they're predicting. Some people are predicting the Third World War. Now, it could be Iran will probably have a nuclear weapon by the end of this next year, so it could happen. Some are predicting a, a, a loss of perhaps 90% of the economic value of our funds in America, a major economic collapse. Just incredible, the crazy things out there. And yet, the truth is, we've never lived in a more uncertain time, have we? Who would ever have thought that we would actually be to the place where the VA hospital in Dallas refused to deliver handmade Christmas cards to veterans who were in the hospital because it said Merry Christmas. They did send the cards down to San Antonio and to a private veteran's place, but who, who would have thought that, that a country based upon biblical principles would find itself in a day where you cannot mention that, and history's being rewritten, and we're being told that we never were built on biblical principles, in spite of the fact that on every building in Washington, D.C. is Scripture. And if you climb the Washington Monument, and if you were able to climb out on that brass top, you would find that it, it is inscribed with a statement, praise be to God. That's our nation. But here we are, we're facing economic uncertainties, we're facing a physical 
danger and threats for the hostilities around the world. Terrorism has invaded our own nation, and we know there are thousands of terrorist cells ready to attack us at any time. Just yesterday in New York City, a flash mob of teenagers ran through and shut down a mall, creating havoc and fighting and all kinds of things. This is the world we live in. How do you get ready for the future in a world like this? Well, Joshua 3 gives us four simple things that we, can, uh, that we can apply to our lives to help us get ready for the future. Now, let, let, me, let me just give a disclaimer. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know God's in control. I do know this is still his world. I do know that history is still his story. And I know that nothing is going to happen without his approval and that the end of the, of the world and the end of the age will not come due to some miscalculation of mankind but through the superintended direction of God himself. That's how it's going to end. But we have to live in this world. So how do we get ready? Because we don't know everything that we would like to know. Well, Joshua chapter 3, I'll just quickly tell you that the children of Israel have now been out of Egypt for 40 years. They came out of Egypt and they, they, they crossed the Red Sea, and we won't take time to go into that. I, I trust you remember some of that. They crossed the Red Sea, and then they, uh, uh, they came to Kadesh Barnea, which is down in the southern part of Israel, and, and they were going to possess the land then, but they sent out a, a, uh, a team of spies, 12 spies, and they came back, and 10 of them said, we can't do this. These are walled cities. These are giants. They, we, we're not equipped to possess this land. And they said, we cannot go into the land. You remember Joshua and Caleb said we can, but they got outvoted, and the people turned away from God's clear command to go into the land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness till every adult who had made the decision not to obey God died. Now then, 40 years later, they are camped at the Jordan River. Now I have to tell you, verse 15 of this chapter tells us, I believe it is verse 15, that the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. It was a flooded river. The Jordan Valley is a wide valley. The Jordan River runs down through the midst of it. It's now at flood stage. So you have a raging torrent of water that is flashing down the Jordan River Valley. And they're camped on this side, and Jericho is right over there. And that's where we pick up. Verse 1, Joshua 3. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites, and they went as far as the Jordan, and they stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about 1,000 yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. Here's the phrase. For you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priest, take the ark of the covenant. Go on ahead of the people. So they carried the ark of the covenant and went ahead of them. Here they are facing the challenge of crossing a flooded river to get to the promised land. There were old people, young people, children. How are you going to get one and a half or two million people across the river? 
And, and, and Joshua said, now you need to, you need to watch the ark. Seventeen, uh, ten times in this chapter, you have the mention of the ark. The ark rep represented the promises of God, the presence of God, the purposes of God. For us, the ark is Jesus. Jesus represents all that God has promised, all that God is, all the future confidence we can have. And so you are to keep your eyes. The priests, he said, are to carry the ark of the covenant, and you're to keep your eyes on it. And you're to follow it wherever it goes. He said, let a space of about a thousand yards get between you and the ark. Now, why did he say that? Well, if there are a million and a half people and everybody crowded around the ark, nobody would be able to see it. So let it get out ahead of you where you can see. And when you see it, you follow the ark. And then he made this incredible reminder to them, you have not traveled this way before. That's, that's us. We're facing a new year, a new time, a new day in our lives. We've never been here before. We've never been this way before. We're not sure exactly what to do. We're not wise enough, smart enough, strong enough, visionary enough to know what to do. How do we move ahead on a road that we've never traveled? And that's what 2014 really is. It's an untraveled road for us. Well, there, there are four things in this passage that will help us. And if you'll do these four things, I promise you, you'll be ready to travel into the uncertain future. The first thing is don't dwell in the past. Now, you may have noticed, though you probably didn't, uh, we, we don't usually notice things that are not there, but there was nothing said in what Joshua told the people about the past. Now that's kind of strange. He could have talked to them about their disobedient parents and about the time they spent in the wilderness wandering around because of their disobedience to God. He could have talked about the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. He could have talked about all the provision they had for 40 years in the wilderness. Hey, they had clothes that never wore out. Never wore out, 40 years. They, they, God sent them manna. Uh, a bread-like substance. And when they got tired of eating that and complained about it, he sent quail into the camp. God fed them. He brought water out of a rock. He, he sweetened bitter water at Mirabah. He, he provided for the people for 40 years. Uh, he, he could have, Joshua could have reminded them of all the blessings of the past or warned them about the failures of the past, but he didn't. He didn't mention it at all. Now, we shouldn't be surprised because in the first chapter, verse 2, God told Joshua, Moses is dead. Now prepare to cross the Jordan. In other words, God was saying, we've closed a chapter in your history. We have closed the book on the wilderness. We're moving into a new era of our lives, a new time of our lives. Don't worry about the past. Don't live in the past. Now, we cherish the past. Oh, I, 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 could, I could spend all day talking to you about things that, that happened in the past that were just remarkable things. I, I preached 22 revival meetings before I went to college. Chuck Swindoll was my song leader. We went to high school together. We, can you imagine a pastor of a church this size, turning his pulpit over to two teenagers for a week? 
I had trouble doing that when I was a pastor. And I was one of those teenagers that they turned you, you know, we, we had incredible response. It was during the early days of what we call the youth revival movement. And, and, and every revival, there were scores of people saved. In some instances, hundreds of people saved. Boy, I'd, I'd, I'd love for that to happen again. I love thinking about it. But I can't live there anymore because that day's gone. It's past. It's not coming back. We cherish the past. We build on the past. I know that God did that back in 1953, my senior year in high school. I know what God did, and I know he can do it again, and that gives me hope for the future, but I don't live there anymore. It's gone. Don't dwell on the past. I'm talking to some of you this morning. Something happened in your life. Somebody did something made you angry, perhaps hurt you, and you've never been, to let, been able to let go of it. You've never been able to move past it. Still makes you angry just to think about it. You, you haven't spoken to that person ever since. There's bitterness and anger in your heart. And whether you realize it or not, you are a slave to the past when you can't move past the past. You're a slave to it. The person that you're angry with or that hurt you is controlling your life. Why would you do that? Why would you let them do that? Think of the people who are imprisoned by their own past. They can't get rid of it. They can't turn loose of it. Maybe you did something and you've never forgiven yourself. Uh, you know God's forgiven you, but you've never forgiven yourself. And so you live on the ragged edge of the unforgiveness that nags at your heart every day. If you live in the past, it will haunt you. It will destroy every possibility of a happy new year and of a God-centered future. Ron Dunn used to tell the story about the Inuit tribe. The Inuit tribe is across the polar regions of of North America, and uh, it's an Eskimo tribe. And they hunt bear, and bear is part of their diet. They, they, it's, it's what keeps them alive. They have a unique way of catching and killing bears. They know that bears love whale blubber. So they take a small bone from perhaps a skeleton of a wolf, and they, they heat it and, and treat it and bend it until it's in kind of a corkscrew shape and sharp on each end, and, and they work it into that blubber. Then they find the path that the bear walks on, and they just lay it down in the path, and then they go and just sit back and watch. Sure enough, Mr. Bear comes along. He comes waddling down the path, and he sees the blubber. He smells it. He likes it. He eats it, swallows it. The moment he swallows the blubber, he has killed himself. Because you see, that blubber goes into his stomach. As the acids of the stomach dissolve the, the blubber, that wolf bone with sharp corkscrew form is now bare in his stomach. Every step he takes, that bone tears away at the lining of his stomach and he begins to bleed. 
until he bleeds to death. And then the Anuit have their bear. Now listen carefully to me. God's word says in Hebrews 12, be very careful lest a root of bitterness grow up within you. That root of bitterness is, the Greek word describes the growth of a poisonous plant. Beware, unless a poisonous plant grow up within you and many be defiled. You see, if you could be bitter and angry by yourself, I'd say good riddance. Go to it. But you can't do that. When bitterness takes over in your heart and you dwell in the past that you cannot get over, you cannot turn loose, you cannot forgive, everyone around you is impacted by that. Many are defiled. Many of us today are imprisoned by something that happened in the past. So if you want to get ready for the future, turn loose of it. Turn loose of it. Let it go. Don't live in the past. There are two things that can happen when you live in the past. One is you might get bitter. That's the bad things that happen. The other is you might get proud, arrogant. Good things that happened. We all have, all of our lives have both those in it. And so, uh, either one of those is bad. Either one of them is bad. So turn loose of them. Life wasn't nearly as good as we remember it, nor was it as bad as we remember it. If you want to get ready for the future, don't dwell in the past. Second thing is don't worry about tomorrow. He said there, tomorrow God's going to do wonders among you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what tomorrow uh, he was talking about, whether he's talking about the conquest of Jericho. I'm not sure what it was, but he's, he was saying to them, don't you worry about tomorrow. You follow the ark. Don't you worry about tomorrow. And the scripture everywhere reminds us of this. The scripture reminds us that we should not, we, we should not dwell on tomorrow. Jesus said, which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? I'd be six foot six if I could add by worrying about how tall I am. It I, I, doesn't help. I tried. There's not any way. Don't worry about tomorrow. God is in control of tomorrow. God has been there. We haven't been there. God is in charge of tomorrow. See, God is not bound by time like we are. We're in a chronological warp, a chronological period. My next birthday, I'll be a year older, not a year younger. We're all in a chronological path. God is not bound by that. And that's why he can say all things works together for good to those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. Because when something happens in my life, in your life, God sees it in relation to all of our lives. It's not just an isolated event. When it happens to us, that's us. That's all we know. We hurt. We have pain. We have challenges. And that's an uncomfortable time for us. But God does not see any moment in our lives isolated by itself. He sees all of our lives from beginning to end. He's the only one who's been to the future. And he holds it in his hand. Don't worry about tomorrow. Third thing. Don't miss today. I, I know you didn't notice this. 
I read it very carefully, and I tried to slow down just a little bit. Here's, let me read it again. Consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them. And if you fast forward down to verse 17, the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground till the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan that day. I don't know what tomorrow held, but they crossed the Jordan River that day. They, we cannot miss that. Do you realize this is the only moment you have? If you're going to do something for good or for God, this is the only time you have. You say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. No. You, you never have tomorrow. If tomorrow does come, we'll, we'll, we'll call it today, and, and tomorrow will still be a day away. This is the only day we have. Do you know that if, this, if there's something in your life that you ought to do for God, there's some determination that you said, I, I know I need to do this, I'm going to do it, this is the only time you have. Today, if you hear my voice, twice in Hebrews, the writer said, today, if you hear my voice, God speaking, don't harden your heart. God gives us open doors and opportunities, and, and he is under no obligation to ever give them to us again. That's why the scripture says, now is the time, now is the day of salvation. This is the day. If you would do something, this is the only day that you have. Don't miss today. Don't miss today. When my dad died, it suddenly dawned on me that I was mortal. You know what I did? I, I sat down and wrote letters to all the Sunday school teachers that had been patient with me when I was growing up as a preacher's kid. The professors that taught me when I was in college and seminary. Because I realized these people had made an incredible impact on my life. And if I was ever going to tell them, I had to do it then. You see, this is the only day we have. Don't say you have more. You say, well, next Sunday. No, listen, next Sunday, this group will never be the same. Next Sunday, if, if God allows us another Sunday, some of us won't be here. Some who are not here will be here. This is a unique moment in time. If you ever respond to God, it'll be on the razor-thin edge of a moment we call now. This is the time. Don't miss today. It's God's opportunity for you. So don't dwell in the past. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't miss today. I know what you're thinking. How in the world do we do that? Well, in verse 5 is the key. And basically what he's saying is don't fail to prepare. What did he say? Consecrate yourselves. Your translation may say sanctify yourselves. Now listen carefully to me. God will do a lot of things for you, but he will never overrule your will. He has so decreed in his omnipotence that you can say no to him and he will say all right. He's not going to force you. He is a gentleman. He'll never crash the door of your heart down, but he'll call you and draw you to himself you have to be prepared for that 
And the word there is consecrate or sanctify. It means to set yourself apart. In other words, let me illustrate this way. When they, in the sacrificial system of the Jews, when they took an animal that was going to be sacrificed, and that animal was examined, and it was accepted, a stamp went in that animal's ear, and that stamp said, this animal belongs to God. Belongs for God's use, for God's purpose. This animal is set aside for God. Now, what Joshua says, he said, consecrate yourselves. You see, God's not going to do that. God will use you any way he chooses, but he will not force you to set yourself apart for his use. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, and we can't get saved until he gets ready, but we can't get saved until we respond to his call. Set yourself apart. And I would commit to you, there's nothing you're facing in the future that will not be resolved and peace come to your heart if you would say, I'm setting myself apart for God's use. Carol Ann and I have been married now for 57 years. And uh, never forget what happened to us in the spring before we married. Her, her mom and dad had brought her uh, up to Baylor. She grew up in Lake Jackson down on the coast. And, and uh, we met in the summertime, and we courted by mail. And I saw her maybe a couple of times a, a month. I'd drive down on the weekend and back to college, and I bought her a ring Thanksgiving, gave it to her Christmas, and married her in July. So it was one of those things. We just knew this was what God wanted from us. But her parents decided if we were in love and going to get married, they ought to probably ought to spend some time together. So uh, uh, they brought her up to Waco one weekend. And now, th this is kind of corny. We were in a friend's home listening to records. Yeah, kids, we did too. We listened to records. Back then, you could understand the words. And uh, anyway, we were listening to records, and we, we were listening to Frank Sinatra. Oh, what, what a singer. And he had a song. Some of you folks, us older folks, remember, You Are My Everything. Beautiful ballad, love ballad. And we sat, and we were listening to that song, and we realized that we had so wrapped our lives up in each other that maybe we'd kind of push God out a little bit. And we got down on our knees beside that couch and we prayed a prayer, something like this. Father, something happens to Carol Ann, I'm going to keep preaching. Something, something happens to Jimmy, I'm going to keep serving you. Lord, we love each other, but we love you most. And today, we are saying to you, from now and for the rest of our lives, our answer is yes. Whatever that means, our answer is yes. Now, I can tell you after 57 years, now listen carefully because you may mis misunderstand. I do not think we ever made a mistake in how we serve, in where we serve God, the places we served. I believe every place, if, if I had my life to live over again, I'd go back to every church I went to, every position I served in, because I know we knew that was God's will. Oh, I'd like to do it better. I'd sure like a second shot at being a dad and a husband and pastor. But I wouldn't change the assignment God gave to me 
Because you see, this was the deal we made with God. Lord, our answer is yes. You show us what you want us to do, and we won't argue with you. We won't debate with you. We won't negotiate with you. You show us what you want us to do, and our answer is yes, whatever that means. And God tested us on that. We left a very comfortable pastorate in San Antonio to take a mission church in Kansas City years ago. Nothing said we ought to go. We didn't like the town. The people didn't like us when we went. We didn't care for them either. <laughs> but when they voted on us, they gave us a 99% vote to come and be the pastor and wife. So we went. When I was 55 years of age, they asked me to come to the Sunday school board to be president. Now Lifeway. I had never done anything but pastor a Baptist church. Never had a math class except general math. Suddenly I'm president of a $200 million corporation. And I knew immediately that I didn't have a chance because I had no idea what I was doing. But the Lord had taught me as a pastor, surround yourself with good people, turn them loose and let them work and you'll do good. So I did. I surrounded me with businessmen that understood business and loved God and loved ministry. And today, Lifeway is a $500 million corporation. But it was just unbelievable for us to go to Nashville at 55. The president there had been telling the organization it was a dying organization. But God said, go. And we're so glad we did. But you see, we did not because of anything surrounding our becoming president, but because 50, 57 years ago we had gotten on our knees and said, God, our answer is yes, whatever that means. For now, for the rest of my life, my answer is yes. Now, quickly listen to me. You may say, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. Well, let me just give you a real quick counseling session. God doesn't lead you through doubt. You never will find God's will, and it's something you doubt, they have doubt about. If God's God and he is, and if he has a plan for your life and he does, don't you think he's big enough to tell you what it is? So, you, you can't do anything about God's will. You can do something about your willingness to do God's will. And today, here's something you can do. You can own your knees before God in your heart. You can say, dear God, my answer is yes, whatever that means. For now, for the rest of my life, my answer to you is yes. I'll never argue with you. I'll never negotiate or debate you. Won't fuss at you about it. Whatever you want us to do, our answer is yes. If you'll do that, you'll prepare yourself for the future. Now, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. You know, if I think about all the financial possibilities, if I think about uh, the potential for older people, in a society that uh, is, is killing 4,100 babies every day and soon will be allowing euthanasia to kill adults, uh, it, it could get a little scary. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. I know that I am walking today with my Savior who's already been to tomorrow, and he said, don't worry about it. Just take care today. This is the gift he's given to us. He's given today a gift for us. You could clear out your soul today. You could, you could turn away from the thing that has hounded you and created misery in your life. Uh, you, you could turn away from living in the past and, and, and claiming uh, victories in the past as if they were today. And 
you, you can get past all of that by just setting yourself apart for God's use and saying yes to God. Don't live in the past. Appreciate it. Thank God for it. We're all products of our past. Praise God for that. Don't worry about tomorrow. We can't do anything about that. God's in control. But don't miss today. Sanctify yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Lord, my answer is yes. Whatever that means. That's my invitation to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask you in a moment to leave where you're now seated and find your way down to this altar. There are wonderful steps you can kneel and pray on. There's someone here to pray with you, counselors to encourage you, be someone to help you. But would you today, you don't have to know what God has in mind, but would you today say, dear God, for today and the rest of my life, my answer is yes. If you'll do that, you'll be ready for the future. Father, what an incredible moment of time this is, standing on the doorstep of a new year, 14 years into a new century, a world filled with violence, selfishness, economic disparity, and changes, and so much we don't know, but Lord, we know that we can trust you. So Lord, may our answer to you today be yes, whatever that means. May it be yes, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now when we stand in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. Some of you ought to come. This will be the time for you to commit your life to Christ. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation, the scripture says. This is the day. If you've never been saved, what better time than on the, on the doorstep of a new, new year? Give your heart to Christ. Welcome him into your heart. Receive him as your Savior. Some ought to unite with this church. Wonderful fellowship. You'd, you'd be uh, so much a part of what God is doing in this area. That would be for you to come. For some of you, though, for many of you, maybe a time just to start fresh with God, to say yes to God. It's my invitation to you. Would you stand with me as we stand? As our ministers are here at the front, Terry, lead us as we sing. God prompts you. I invite you to come. Thank you.